Amen. You may be seated, and I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, we are back in Matthew. We took a break, and now we're back. Matthew chapter 11. And as you, as you make your way there, um, last Sunday we had our chili cook-off, and it was a blast. We had lots of fun, lots of good chili. Uh, and we had some great winners, and we had some sore losers, not saying who. Uh, it's not Dawn, no, it's not Dawn. Uh, but uh, we had a really good time, and um, while we were there, uh, you guys presented us with a, a small token of your appreciation for pastor appreciation, and uh, didn't really know what to say, and, and after I got home, I thought, you know, I wish I had, had said something, but uh, all I can really say is it's a joy to be your pastor. I love being here. I love all of you. Yes, imperfectly. Yes, in ways that I, that I wish I would do better. But my, my promise to you from the beginning when we interviewed here was I'm not going to be perfect. And I'm not going to meet all your preferences um, but my promise was to you was I will always try to point myself and us to the Lord Jesus. So um, that's my goal. That's my hope uh, that despite the many failures uh, that will be evident through the years, uh, that we will at least know that, that we're going to uh, pursue Christ together. And so I, I, I still consider it a joy. We haven't even been here a whole year. Uh, and uh, it's still a joy, so I want to assure you of that. Don't do anything to change that, okay? All right, All right. just kidding, kind of. Um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, and we are picking up. We, we broke off here because it was a good stopping point. It was a transition in Matthew's gospel, but we want to pick back up where Jesus has just finished an extended teaching section. He commissioned the disciples. We talked about what that looked like. But then in chapter 11, there's a transition to where Jesus moves on from private instruction back to public proclamation. He's teaching the public and the crowds. And I think as we get into Matthew 11, one of the one of the things I've experienced in life, and maybe you have experienced too, is, is really comes out of Proverbs 13.6. Proverbs 13, 6 says, Hope delayed makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. There's something about hoping and hoping and hoping, and that, that hope never being met, that makes your heart sick. You, you hope, maybe you remember back when you thought nobody was ever actually going to marry you. I remember thinking that, and I actually tricked somebody. Um, <laughs> it wasn't because of the money. Uh, but, but there is a hope that if you wait and you wait and you wait and it's never met, it begins to turn your heart and it becomes sick, it becomes anemic. But, but a desire that is fulfilled is a tree of life. And when we think about the first century and, and the Jews that were waiting, we remember they were waiting for the Messiah, right? They were waiting for the promised one to come, but all of them had their expectations not fully met. As you read the Gospels, we see over and over again there were expectations about 
who the Messiah would be, how he would be, what he would do. And over and over again, those expectations, those hopes aren't met. The question is, what do we do then? What do we do when Jesus does not meet our expectations? We're going to talk about this morning and talk about the reality that he doesn't always meet our expectations. And then what do we do with it? But just to give you a little bit more context... We're starting in chapter 11, and this is a major section that goes all the way to end of, the end of verse 13. And this section is bracketed by a theme that, that we'll set up in a minute. But ver, chapters 11 through 13 is largely about opposition. This is the part in Matthew's gospel where the, the opposition to Jesus is ratcheted up another notch. We've seen a little bit of opposition, but now it's going to the next step. The, that's how opposition works, right? If the lower level doesn't work, we've got to uh, step it up and bring it a little bit harder. And so we'll see some of the different kinds of opposition to Jesus. And some of them come in the form of doubt, like we'll look at this morning. Some of them come in the form of rebellion, rejection, unrepentance, a, a failure. They, they just reject Jesus. But this morning, we have the account of John the Baptist. And if you look at chapter 11, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, that's Matthew 10, it says he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. So now he's doing the public ministry again. And it says now, in verse 2, Now when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, that is, asked Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And so Jesus is teaching, he's doing these things, and then John asks a question. And Jesus uses this opportunity to teach us something about himself. He uses it to teach something about John. But in teaching about John, he is still teaching about himself. And so there's two parts to the main idea this morning that I want you to leave here taking away. And the first part is this, that we see in verses 1 through 6. Jesus does not always meet our expectations. Jesus does not always meet our expectations. John, notice how Matthew describes it. John is, is hearing this in verse 2. John heard in prison what the, what, what the Christ, what the Messiah was doing. So he's hearing the Messiah is doing this, the Messiah is doing that. And yet John sends a word and he says, what? Are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? And that's the all important question, isn't it? Is Jesus who he says he is or should we look elsewhere? Should, should we expect that Jesus is the Messiah and that he'll meet all of our expectations of what the Messiah will do and say. Well, Jesus answers him in verses 4 through 6. And notice what he says. Jesus replied to them, go and report. Go and testify to John what you hear and see. Now, what is, what, what's being heard and seen? The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. So Jesus says, here, John wants to know if I'm really the one. You tell him what's going on. And what Jesus essentially says is, look, I'm doing Messiah things. I'm doing messianic works. 
And Jesus does this. He uses the language of Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. He uses the language of Isaiah 61, verse 1. And so he's saying those passages that talk about the Messiah, yeah, I'm doing those things. But here's what's interesting. If you go look at those verses, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, Isaiah 61, verse 1, you know what else is a common theme in both of those passages? Judgment. Judgment. The type of judgment where God comes and he wipes away the enemies. He deals with all the enemies of Israel. He, he sets up his kingdom and he, he does away with unrighteousness. And so Jesus is responding to John the Baptist's question by saying, I'm doing the messianic works. But he also says that the blessings that were promised for the end time have broken out and they prove it's here. The kingdom is here. I'm doing these works even though the judgment part is delayed. So now we begin to see that John maybe had it in his mind that, that all those works that Jesus was doing should have also included the judgment part. You know, kick the Romans out type stuff. And this was a common belief in the first century that the Messiah would come and, and wage war and he would defeat all the enemies of Israel and the, the, the kingdom would be established. So John is looking for this judgment. He's looking for this restoration, as it were. If you go into Acts chapter 1, remember the disciples asked, Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And what does he say? It's not for you to know the days or the seasons, but you will be my witnesses, right? So even the apostles had this thought that it was going to happen. The judgment was going to happen right now. And so John is confused. He's wondering, and let's cut him a little bit of slack, right? He was pre-cross, pre-resurrection, pre-Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So he's trying to make sense of all this. I don't think he's necessarily, I don't think we need to cast him in a sinful light as in, you know, John, you know, let's, let's chide John the Baptist because he, let's cut him some slack because where he was. But what Jesus says is, this is the way it is. But then what does he say right after that in verse 6? And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. And this word offended in the Greek is scandalizo, scandalize. Blessed is the one who is not so put off by this that they reject who I am. It's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, when he says the preaching of Christ crucified is an offense. It's a scandal to the Jews, the idea that the Messiah would be crucified. So this, this offense is, is a reference to something that is so off-putting about your expectation for the Messiah that you just walk away. That because he doesn't meet your expectations, that you would say, I'm having none of it. And so we see with John that Jesus doesn't always meet our expectations. And if we're not careful, it can cause doubt. It can cause bitterness. It can cause even anger. Because listen, all of us here are agreeing with this, right? We, we, we kind of understand this, but don't skip over those two words. Where is John asking his question from? Go back to verse 2. Now, John, when John heard what? Where? In prison. Lord, you came to set the prisoner free, but I'm still in jail. 
You're Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, but, but here I am struggling. You own the cattle on a thousand hills, but here I am with no cattle. You see what we're getting at here? You are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, but, but God, where's my healing? In those instances, I think we can, we can say that what we're really asking is, are you the one that we should go to or should I go somewhere else? And we do that because we're saying he is not meeting our expectations. Jesus, you ought to do so and so because I expect it. But what do we do then? If Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, let's just, let's just pause for a moment. Let's press pause on that question and realize that's what Jesus does, right? Because who would have said or expected the cross? That is the least expected thing in that time that, that the Messiah would come and that he would die on the cross, that he would be crucified. It was such a, a scandal. It was unexpected. And so Jesus doesn't always meet our expectations, but what do we do? So we said he doesn't always meet our expectations. We see that in verses 1 through 6. But then in verses 7 through 15, the second part of the main idea that I want you to see this morning is he doesn't always meet our expectations, but he is who he is, the Messiah. He doesn't always meet our expectations, but he is who he is. He is the Messiah. Jesus says in verse 7, as the men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. Right? So he turns his attention, he turns his attention to the crowds and warns them that what John might be struggling with, they might be struggling with. And they might be struggling with it with John. And if they're struggling with it with John, they're going to struggle with it with Jesus. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, look at what Jesus says. He says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? Was it a man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, you guys were expecting a hype man for the Messiah, right? Does anybody not know what a hype man is? Raise your hand if you're... A hype man is exactly that. He is, he, his job is to hype up the crowd for somebody else, right? He, he gets them up under... He gets everybody looking at the other person, right? So when you think about Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, the Son of God, you might think... The type of hype man that he needs is somebody that's decked out in royal clothes and gold, you know, got nice shoes, has his hair combed, all this other stuff. But instead, who's the hype man for Jesus? It's a dude in like a bag eating crickets. And so they say, Jesus says, look, if you were expecting the, the one that was coming before the Messiah to look a certain way and he doesn't meet your expectations and you're going to reject him because it doesn't meet your expectations. What are you going to do then when the Messiah doesn't meet your expectations? John, Jesus says he's not even 
just a prophet, but he is the one prophesied in Malachi chapter 3. That's what he quotes in verse 10, Malachi chapter 3. The one who would come before the Messiah. So he may not have come as people expected. John probably didn't meet everyone's expectations. But he is who he is. He is the forerunner of the Messiah. And I think it's important to understand here that what, G- what Jesus is doing is defending John. We have to be careful about casting aspersions on John because John, John misunderstood his timing on some things. We admit that. But, but Jesus is not necessarily chiding John for his misunderstanding. So he, he answers the crowd or he, he addresses the crowd and then he talks about the status of John. And in verses 11 through 15, we see that Jesus says some things that are, that are if we're being honest, they're very difficult. They're difficult to understand. We don't have all the time in the world to unpack all of the the nuances or possible interpretations. So I'm going to do my best to give you uh, the the the, uh, the the put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Or you know, as as Spurgeon said, you know, when you preach, you're not feeding giraffes; you're feeding sheep, right? So we want to put it down where it's understandable. But he says in verse 11, look at what he says: Truly, I tell you. Among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence. And the violent, excuse me, and the violent have been seizing it by force. Verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Let anyone who has ears listen. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, first of all, he's saying that John climaxed pre-Christian revelation, pre-Christ revelation. He says, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. So he is the prophet of prophets, as it were. He is the, the, the climax of pre-Christian revelation. He is the most explicit prophet to point to Christ, all of the prophets and all the Old Testament point to Christ in different ways and shapes, but, but John was the most explicit, the most, uh, uh, what's the word, the most clear about who he was pointing to, and it was all about Jesus. So then we get to verse, it says, it says that he was born among women, no one greater, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he and I just think that simply means is that those of us who are uh, post-cross, post-Pentecost, who, who know Jesus is the Messiah, we've come to believe in Jesus is the Messiah, we have the, the Word of God that we can read and the Spirit of God residing within us, that we're on a different level. And we, we know more, as it were. But then Jesus says something in verse 12. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now... So it's not a very long time, right? But from the days until John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence and the violent have been seizing it by force. I think a good way to to maybe translate it, to to make it more clear what Jesus is saying here, is he's saying from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent people attack it. And isn't that what John is really wrestling with? 
Jesus, if you are the conquering Messiah, why has nothing seemed to be conquered? Why is it enduring violence? And today is, I don't know if you know this, today is uh, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And we're going to pray at the end of the a service today for the persecuted church. But what was happening then has not ceased. We may look at, at, at why the world persecutes the church and we might think, why is this happening? Well, it was happening when John the Baptist was still around. But the flow that Jesus has here, I think, can be summarized in verses 11 through 15. He says that the violent have been attacking it Violent have been, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence. But then you get to verse 13, and he says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So there is a, there is a change that happens, or a section between the law, the prophets, and then John. But something new is happening in Christ. And what is new about this Christ is that he's the Messiah. And how do we know that? Look at what he says in verse 14. If you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. The Elijah that would come before the Messiah. That's him. And so if anyone would listen to that, they would do well. So despite John's questions, he is asking a great question here. Something greater is here. Jesus in the kingdom is here. But they're being attacked, they're being opposed, and such opposition will not deter, should not deter disciples or deter disciples that God's plan is going to unfold as he said it would. And so Jesus' point is that John pointed to him as the Messiah because he is the Messiah. And so that's the truth of it. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, we have these two issues to deal with. When he doesn't meet our expectations, but he is the Lord. That's the truth. And so what we see then is we have a biblical truth and then our expectations. And so to answer John's question, Jesus does say, I am the one who you've been waiting for. I am the awaited one. I am the expected Messiah. So then what happens when those two things collide? When the Messiah, when Jesus doesn't act or behave or do what we think Jesus, the Messiah, should do. Well, the reality is, is if he doesn't meet our expectations, it's not his status that needs to change. It's our expectations that need to change. That's the whole point. When Jesus doesn't meet our expectations for what the Messiah should and ought to do, he's not demoted or fired. Jesus doesn't lose his job because you're dissatisfied. No, he is who he is, and we are called to bend our will, our expectations, our desires to him to change our expectations. And we can do that because we live on the other side of the cross and the resurrection, God has proven. Jesus has proven that he's the Messiah. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And he ascended into heaven. And so Jesus says, anyone who has ears, listen. So the question is, which one are you? Who are you? 
There's different types of responses to this truth, that Jesus is the Messiah, and if he doesn't meet our expectations, there are different responses. First, perhaps you've been so offended from the get-go that you've never trusted Christ. Something about a biblical truth about Jesus... Maybe you, you don't like what Jesus says about him being the only way of salvation. Maybe you don't like what Jesus teaches about marriage. Maybe you don't like the idea that Jesus had to shed his blood and he had to take the punishment for our sins on a cross. Something about that you don't like about Jesus and so you've just been turned off from the get-go. And instead of bowing and bending towards the Lord, you've expected him to kneel before you and your expectations. And so, instead of being someone who's blessed by not being scandalized by those things, and instead of hearing, you've found your offense and you've walked away. You've never trusted Christ. So that's the first type of response. But then there's a second type of response. Perhaps you initially responded... You responded to Jesus and you surrendered your life to him and you, you trust him as your savior. But ever since then, there's just been these little offenses. Oh, and it's usually silly things like, God, why didn't you give me that promotion? God, why didn't you work that out for me? God, why couldn't I get this? Why didn't you do that? And slowly but surely, you're saying, really, God, why didn't you meet my expectations? And you just slowly, you started out following Christ. You were right behind him. But now you're so far off. And the reason you're so far off is because you want to make sure that when he makes an offense, you just step around it. Jesus says something ought to not be in your life. And you say, you know what? I'm offended by that. And I've, I've got, I'm following you loosely enough that I can just think I can just step around that and be fine. But Jesus says... That we are blessed if we're not offended and if we listen and respond, not to our expectations, but to the truth of who he is. So maybe you're in that second group where you initially responded, but you won't come out and say it. But you're following Jesus at a distance. There's a third group. The third group is perhaps you think at some point that God has failed you. That Jesus failed you. Jesus broke a promise. And if I can even put it this way without sounding too uh, mushy, Jesus broke your heart. Whatever it was, something happened and you've never dealt with it. Can I lovingly suggest maybe it wasn't Jesus that broke your heart. Maybe it was your own expectations that broke your heart. Maybe it's something that you expected God to do that he does not do. Maybe it's something, a reason you expected God to act that is not a reason that God acts. Maybe something in your own misunderstanding of who Jesus is. Or maybe it's an expectation that you had that really broke your heart. What does that look like? Well, if you believe that that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous, to never suffer, to never be sick, to never struggle financially. If you believe that any of that is a sin or you believe that God would never do that and then you ask God to help you and he doesn't, that's an expectation that's placed on God that will let you down because God does not work that way. 
So maybe you're in that third group. God didn't act how you thought or when you thought. You didn't think he, or he doesn't, he didn't act the way you thought he should or how we think he should. Listen, a God who does not answer your every whim and desire, that's not a Lord. That's a lackey. That's a hired gun, a hired hand. It's an idol is what it is. It's a God made and shaped according to your image, your likeness, your desire, your designs. So maybe you're in the first, second, or third group. But then there's a fourth group. And this is the blessed group. This is the group that has taken Christ as He is with your heart. And you're not offended by who He is. But because of who He is, you cling to Him. Jesus says you are blessed. Well, what's blessed about this? Not only do you receive Him as He is, but but you begin to learn that there's nothing better. There's a blessedness in understanding that Jesus, as he is, if you will receive him as he is, there is nothing better. Have you ever had a really good meal or maybe it was a dessert? Sometimes when you get kind of subpar or mediocre, you'll say, you know, it needs a little bit of salt, needs a little bit of pepper, needs seasoning or whatever. You know, cook it this long, not that long, whatever. You, you critique and you, you change. But when you get a dessert that you don't want to change at all, that's when you got something good, right? When we, when we receive Jesus as he is, there's nothing better. There's nothing that needs to change. It is perfectly good perfectly delightful, wholly enjoyable. That's why it's blessed. When you receive Jesus, there's a blessedness. There's a blessedness of the salvation. You found the source of your salvation. You trust Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you're saved. There's a blessedness of joy. There's the blessedness of peace, the blessedness of forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. And you, you begin to understand that When Jesus doesn't meet all your expectations, it's okay because you know what? He's so good that if he doesn't meet your expectations, it means your expectations were too low. They weren't good enough. And God in himself has something better than you could possibly imagine. To be upset with Jesus not meeting your expectations is like being upset that someone gave you an amazing meal instead of throwing a package of Pop-Tarts at you and saying, enjoy. It doesn't make sense. So Jesus doesn't always meet our expectations, but he is the Messiah. He's the Christ. And our calling in this text and in our whole life is to respond to who he is by trusting and resting, receiving and enjoying who he is. We're called to listen. That's what he says, right? Blessed are those who aren't offended by me. Blessed are those who listen. But here's the thing. Let's not forget. Our default nature is not to listen and trust. Our default nature is we're deaf and dumb and dead. We are born sinners. We are born with our fingers in our ears humming over the noise, closing our eyes. We want nothing to do with this blessedness to hear and receive. 
But isn't that what makes Jesus the Messiah? That he lived the life we couldn't live. He died on the cross and took the punishment for our sins. That he was buried and rose again. And because of that, he saved his people so that the Holy Spirit comes into our heart. It, re- it makes us alive. We're, we're born again. We're given faith and we trust Christ and we get to respond to him. So here's the thing. All of this, this responding to him as he is is only be- possible because he is who he is. So you see, Jesus is so good that the only way to be blessed and to listen is to respond to him as he is. But because he is who he is, we are able to be changed and respond and receive. Isn't that so good? That Jesus does all of that so that we might enjoy The blessedness of knowing Him as Christ. Praise God for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Jesus. And we thank You, God, that we never would have responded to You, Jesus, had You not done a work in our hearts. God, we were sinners. We were dead in our sin. But You made us alive together with Christ. Lord, help us to see those areas where we have unbiblical expectations or we have expectations that that we are placing and expecting you to meet instead of asking you, Lord, what is it that you want to teach me? Lord, how do I glorify you in this situation? Well, we all have those areas. And I pray, God, that you would show those areas to us even now where we need, to, we need to, to stop and reckon with the fact that perhaps some of our discontentment, some of our bitterness, some of our hesitancy to follow you may be due to expectations that we place that should not be there. But Lord, we are so blessed to know you. We're so blessed that you loved us so much that you made yourself known and then that you change us so that we know you. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.